What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Big Blue Avenue. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside my co-host, Sam Cardona. Sam, it was a rough, rough, rough Monday night. Have you recovered? How are you doing? What's going through your head? Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, I feel like every week you ask me this, and every week I say, physically, I'm fine. Mentally, not okay. Um, this was another rough week. Um, it was uh, not an ideal situation in prime time. I mean, it's these prime time games that are really stressing me out. Um, the fact that everybody is watching them and they're not good football games. And it's, and of course, you know, like that big giant Cardinals comeback, which is our best game this year so far. That's in a one o'clock, four o'clock slot or whatever it was. So it's been uh it's been a little bit rough, but you know, we're here for another therapy session this week. So we'll make it through. Yeah, very, very similar to week one. Um just to briefly recap here, the Giants abysmal performance. They got wrecked by the Seahawks 24 to 3 Monday night football. Possibly, Sam, the worst offensive line performance in franchise history, really missing Andrew Thomas and John Michael Schmitz, who left the game early with an injury. People calling for Bobby Johnson. Ted, no Saquon Barkley. They made him and Dan, them and Daniel Jones made Devon Witherspoon look like an all-pro, even though he is likely on his way. But they could have minimized his individual damage. We saw Dable furious with DJ. Um yeah, just before we bring up okay, I mean, a couple quick hits, this was bad. This was really, really bad. And you were saying before we went live that you actually started watching YouTube during <laughs> the game. This game lost your attention. Literally. It literally did. I was, I mean, I had the TV on in front of me and I had my computer next to me and I was like, I'm not even interested in watching this game right now because I didn't see any sort of fire. I didn't see any sort of light that there could be a comeback or anything like that. It just looked bad. So I sat in front of my TV, but I barely watched the game like post third quarter, basically all the fourth quarter I did not pay attention to. So uh, it was just not entertaining. That's the thing too. It's like when it's in these primetime slots, you at least want a good game, even if they lose, but they're not, they're just not entertaining. I don't blame you at all for sitting out the second half, however long it was. But uh, quickly here, folks, if you want to check out more of our content, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Big Blue Avenue. We appreciate everyone's support. Um, And, of course, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's where the majority of our content comes out. Sam, we got a lot to talk about, and I really want to talk about it with our guest tonight. Of G Men HQ, Doug Rush joins the show. Uh, Doug, how are you doing? I see the black screen there. Are you with us? I am. Can you hear me? Uh, can you, yes, I can, I can hear, hear you, you just okay. fine. Let's see. Hear you. Just can you? Hmm. Camera doesn't seem to cooperate in here, but I'm, I promise I'm here. I mean, oh, no worries. I look like I look like the Giants' offensive line in disguise. <laughs> Halloween costume of the year. Yeah, should I should I come back and join? Uh, yeah, you can try and come right. come back. Yeah, you can exit and come back. All right, let me um, try this. I'll be, I'll be hold it. We'll, let me try this. 
Sounds good. So we'll get Doug back up in a moment. Apologies, folks. Um, Sam, while we're waiting for Doug, let's just get right into it. I mean, we saw Dable furious with Daniel Jones. Um, <laughs> in your opinion, and I, I hate to ask you this question because I know how both you and I feel about him. Is Have you lost any faith in Daniel Jones uh, following Monday night's game? Do you still believe in him? Do you believe in him but have lost confidence and faith in him? Do you not believe in him at all? What is your take at this point? Because we know the O-line was bad. There, there's no denying that. Right. And we're big supporters of him. But he himself was also bad on Monday Night yes. Football to the point where it was unwatchable. Yeah, no, I definitely was not thrilled with Daniel's performance. Um, and we've had that feeling in the past as well. But obviously it was earlier in his career. And like, I I hate to say that I've lost faith in him because I know the second that we say that he, he'll pop off and in another game and show us that Daniel Jones that we know can play good football. Um, and even Micah Parsons tweeted out how, you know, he would, they were, he was like, people will blame Daniel Jones, but look at this line and, you know, you can blame the line as much as you want, but you're right. He did not play a good game and he was not playing smart in any way, shape or form, which is why Dable was so upset with him because, you know, they've had bad games in the past and we don't ever see Dable really that upset with Daniel Jones because he knows that there's other factors here that are affecting the game. Um, I I don't want to say that I've lost faith in him per se, but it's definitely on the decline recently, especially just the fact that we're paying him all this money. Like before when it was the rookie contract, it's one thing, but $160 million is, this is not the performance that we should be getting if we're paying this much money. It's definitely a lot of money, but we have Doug back backstage. Let's introduce our guest of the evening from G-Men HQ. Doug Rush, there, Doug, right thank now. you so much for joining us. We got How's, him. How's it going, my friend? <laughs> I'm doing good. I was this camera situation. I, it worked, and then all of a sudden it didn't work. It's it's kind of like the like the Giants' defense almost. Like it worked, didn't work, and then now slowly working. But yeah, no, <laughs> glad to glad to be joining you guys. No, oh, thank you so much. We're excited to have you. I've seen um, some of your content in the past, and I I like what you tweet out sometimes. So. I figured, let me see if I can get Doug on. I'd like to talk with him and pick his brain um, a little bit. But before we die, obviously you caught us in talking about Daniel Jones. But before we um, discuss that, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself and your work, what you do uh, regarding New York Giants football? Sure. So I've been covering the Giants since 2009. I've been around uh, Bleacher Report. USA Today, I wrote for this little uh, company called Sports Media 101. Um, I've been covering the Giants primarily, um, so let's go, let's see, 14 years now um, of the 19 that I've been a sports writer, so I'm around, I I still like to, you know, put not so much pen to paper anymore, it's more like everything's digital now, so just kind of like, still like to write and everything's social media based, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, always, I took a year off of writing to, you know, when my daughter was born. So, um, but it's, uh, I feel good to get back into writing and, uh, I always enjoy interacting with everybody and talking giants football. And that's, I mean, though, even through the bad seasons, it's always good to talk about football and, uh, you know, talk football with 
fine folks like you guys. So thank you. We appreciate Lovely that. Stuff. Sam, why don't you get started here? We have a lot to get into. Want to hear from you. Um, yeah. Go we, ahead, because we'll, I'm so we'll stumped. St- <laughs> we will start with uh, last week. We, uh, Tom and I were just discussing Daniel Jones's performance and everything like that. So why don't we just kind of take a broad, a broad stab here and just say what what were your biggest takeaways from the Seattle game? You know, seeing this game, seeing the poor performance, basically in all aspects and in every way with this team. What was the biggest takeaway that you took from it? So the Giants were basically in a must-win situation at one and basically one and two, mm-hmm. with two very very difficult games coming up, going to Miami and then at Buffalo, another primetime game, and without Saquon Barkley, without Andrew Thomas, basically two of the most key people on the offense, not the not named the quarterback, and I wanted to see if Daniel Jones, the hundred and sixty million dollar quarterback because now that's going to be attached to him because you got the big boy contract. You got the quarterback contract. You have to play like that person who deserves that contract. And especially since a lot of the fan base doesn't still believe that he's that guy. And I wanted to see if he could lead this team in a very difficult scenario on prime time against a very stingy Seahawks team that was bringing the house every single play. And unfortunately, I saw a lot of the same mistakes that we saw of Daniel Jones back in year one and two and three when he was making, especially under, you know, Joe Judge and Jason Garrett, which, and I mentioned it all the last 48 hours, staring down receivers. And even Devin Weatherspoon mentioned it, and that was something they scouted, that he stares down the first target. And if you notice on the pick six, he was staring down Paris Campbell. And I think... Year one and year two, you understand that. A rookie making this, not year five for a guy who's supposed to be making $40, $50 million a season. That's that's not exactly something that you want to see from a guy that you want to impose your confidence in. Um, Missing reads, missing receivers. He missed Wandell Robinson several times. I mean, Wandell was even jumping up and down saying, I'm open, I'm open, I'm open. And he threw it away on third 11. And then obviously the pick six, he had Darren Waller wide open. And instead of trying to jam the ball into Paris Campbell and maybe he gets in, maybe he gets tackled at the one, he gets picked off. Whereas if he had thrown the ball back into the end zone where Darren Waller had nobody on him, okay, maybe Darren Waller misses it and it's an incomplete, but it's not going to be a pick six. At most, it's a touchdown. That was the dagger of the game because at that point it was still 14-3 and it was still a ball game. 14-10 would have put the Giants right back into it. They could have fought in the fourth quarter. We could have had a decent Monday night football game. Instead, you go to 20-3, and and that was the game because the Giants weren't scoring. They were getting blitzed all game. They were getting pressured all game, and that was kind of like the air just got taken right out of the stadium, and that pick six, that was it because then the Giants had nothing left. People started to leave. People started to turn off the game. Um, that was it. And that's like, it just, it was like the most deflating feeling watching that because you wanted to see, and and Daniel Jones, the play before he got the big, he got the first down scrambling on the third down. Like, it's like, all right, the giants are going to actually, I felt like the giants are going to score on this play on this drive and actually give the fan base something to cheer about because they just been waiting and they've been booing and they've just been sick of watching 
a bad football you know, team for most of the game. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like, you get this drive going. It's like, okay, they're going to score. They're going to do something. They're going to show some fight and get into it. And then the pick six. And then that was it. And that was the game. Right. Um, obviously a terrible performance for Daniel Jones. And I mean, by the way, Sam and I are huge Daniel Jones supporters, defenders, but we cannot defend what we saw on Monday night. Um, we defended him after Dallas. We can't defend him after Seattle. Um, we, we just can't, it, it was bad. San Francisco wasn't good either. Um, you know, Arizona was okay. It was great in the second half, but you know, quite frankly, it's a, it's a big problem, Doug. It, it's, it, it's huge. I won't say he's the biggest issue, but he's a, quite frankly, he's a part of the issue and a significant part of the issue, because like you said, year five, you can't be making those mistakes. And, and Sam, I think, you know, we were really high on him, especially after last season. And it seems like not just him, though, the whole team has just regressed. The whole team has just regressed. And it, it's very, very concerning. And, you know, we're talking about takeaways from Seattle. What is there to take away? The team sucks. Like, what, what else is there to talk about? Um, Doug, I mean, we'll start with you here on, on this one. Is there any takeaway from this game and from the first four games of this season, why the team has regressed. I mean, the feeling afterwards was, and I, I kind of get the, cause I like to, I like to check social media. I like to check the vibe of the, the, the fan base. And it feels like we've gone back to 2017 to 2021 when the giants weren't winning many games. And all of a sudden we're talking about the possibility of uh, draft picks and, the NFL draft. And I hate, I hated talking about the NFL draft, but yet here we are early October. And we're talking about possibility of giants placement. Um, by the way, they'd be picking 10th today if the season ended. Um, I used to, when I was with USA today, that was my weekly thing because the giants were so bad and they were, they were, I felt like they were eliminated early in the season. So it was covering what place the giants would be picking in the draft if the season ended today. And it was so, like you want to call it demoralizing if you want to call it like just frustrating. But at the same time, like I, I felt like I was tracking the draft because the giants weren't looking for a, a draft pick or um, they weren't looking for a post a playoff appearance until last season. And that was like, it was a breath of fresh air. And now I feel like we've just gone backwards and it just feels like, I don't know if they've got too comfortable with making the playoffs, winning a playoff game. And I, I felt like after, after, you know, winning nine games in the postseason, winning a playoff game. It's like, you're supposed to take the next step as a young franchise who I felt like actually started to figure out how to win football games, you know, winning against Tennessee, winning against Carolina, the green Bay game in London, Baltimore, the Jacksonville game where they hung on by the goal line. Like these are games that they would have lost in the previous years under Joe judge. And I thought with Brian's able, like they're figuring out how to finish and win. And I feel like it's gone like a complete 180 and it's like back to the same stuff we used to see during the losing times. And I don't know if it's, they got too comfortable. They believe their own hype. Uh, It's just, it's hard because we saw some fight in the Arizona game. We saw, you know, they have the talent to score and to stop people in the Arizona game. And, you know, people are saying, but it was only the Cardinals. The Cardinals beat the freaking Dallas Cowboys. Uh, And it's like not, it's kind of like stop knocking the Cardinals because the Cardinals have a lot of fight. They have some talent on there. 
you know, Joshua Dobbs, like, okay, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but that, that guy fights and that guy plays his guts out every single game. Like they're scrappy young team and the giants, you know, they had their throats um, being pressed on the first half and they had to show that they could beat the Cardinals in the second half. And they scored 31 points in the second half and they showed that they can, they can fight. And then they kind of got backed into a corner with San Francisco. Nobody thought they were going to beat San Francisco on four days rest without Saquon Barkley after the fight that they put up um, against Arizona. And okay. That game was what it was. We all saw that game for what it was back in April when they put them on four days rest again on a Thursday night game understood. But this game here against Seattle was kind of like, it was kind of like the, the pulse test. Like, like, do you guys want to, you know, save your season, get to two and two, actually show the fans that you guys want to be a potential playoff team again. And, you know, it's just felt like the magic that everything it had from last year when they were three and one going to London, won that one, got to four and one, five and one, six and one looked like this just out of nowhere team that had fight and was just revitalizing the entire fan base. It's like all of a sudden it's like gone. And it looks like back to where Joe judge was coaching the team and just looked like they had no desire at times. And I just, I, maybe they'll go to Miami. Maybe if Saquon returns, he looked like he was okay at practice. Maybe they, with Saquon returning, they'll get some of that fight back. Um, but right now, it just I, I don't know if it's because without Barkley, without Andrew Thomas, and just guys aren't aren't stepping up when needed. And right now, the Giants look like a very lost football team that is headed towards the you know top five of the draft as opposed to you know trying to fight for a playoff spot again. Yeah, no, 100%. And I keep saying that about the Cardinals as well. Like, I don't think that the Cardinals are as bad of a team as people are expressing them to be. I mean, I, I want them to go into – I think they're playing the Bengals this weekend. I, I took the Cardinals. The Bengals have been looking horrible. So I, I agree, especially after they just beat the uh, the Cowboys. And um, it's just it's just all around Andrew Thomas, I feel like, is such a vital part of this team as a whole that without him there, like, the fact that we could put 31 points up, that's a huge deal for us. We have struggled so much throughout this year and last year and the year before, which is putting up points. Like, I feel like when we've done this show in the past, Tom, I feel like my keys to the game have been, like, get in the end zone, which is just like, yeah, obviously. Um, so the fact that I know we can do it, that's, that's where that little bit of faith and that little bit of hope has been lying for me. Um, and I, I do want to ask you, cause we, Tom was mentioning, you know, how we feel about Daniel Jones and, you know, throughout this season, you know, we saw him with that comeback win and that, and that fire in him um, as a quarterback but like right now, where are you standing on Daniel Jones? And, and were you ever, you know, thinking like, this is the guy, you know, this is the guy who's going to bring our team back into the playoffs and, you know, with all this money and everything that we're paying him, what, what are your thoughts on Daniel Jones as a whole right now? I've been back and forth on him throughout his career. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously when I, I was very inspired by him as a rookie who look, you know, he made his mistakes, but at the same time he threw 24 touchdown passes and, you know, when he debuted, he started out 2-0. And he, you know, he gave the Giants fan base a lot of confidence that he could potentially be this guy and learn under Eli Manning. 
and then they made the worst mistake possible in bringing Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator for him. And it's all that work that Pat Shermer did in year one just got undone. And the thing that concerned me early on with Daniel Jones was the mistakes he made, the turnovers, um, things I've been mentioning, you know, in year five early on, you know, staring down receivers, not making the proper reads, holding onto the football a little too long until we got to 2022. And I feel like Brian Dable and Mike Kafka kind of like had to put him on back in the lab and undo all the mistakes that, you know, Joe judge and Jason Garrett made. And, you know, even though he threw 15 touchdowns, he also rushed for seven and he was also missing four of his top wide receivers that he was expected to have in week one. You know, Kenny Galladay was a ghost. Kadarius Tony was hurt and then traded. Sterling Shepard was out by week three, and Wanzell was out before Thanksgiving. And yet they made it work with Darius Slayton. They made it work with Isaiah Hodgins. Daniel Belligen came back from uh, the eye injury. And Saquon was tremendous the entire season. Like they had this makeshift offense that they had to come up with. And yeah, he threw 15 touchdowns. But guess what? The Giants won a lot of games and a lot of games that normally they wouldn't win in the past. And they started to, people tell me, yeah, they started to wear down, but they also won a lot of games when it counted the most, like in Washington on a, a Sunday night, they beat Indianapolis. They, they, you know, they, um, and then they almost beat Minnesota on Christmas Eve, but then they went and beat Minnesota back in the playoffs, which was tremendous. And that's when Daniel Jones had a 300 yard game, you know, a couple touchdowns and won the giants first playoff game since they won the Super Bowl. uh, you know, back in 2012, like these are, these are things that some quarterbacks don't ever get to experience. And Daniel Jones did that. And I thought, okay, maybe he's finally figured it out. Maybe Brian Dable has finally unlocked everything that, you know, that they first saw him in 2019 and maybe they're going to finally, you know, and I was okay with give you know, the contract. I always felt he was going to get a little less. I was okay with the numbers because of the way they constructed the contract, because it was less on year one, because it allowed the Giants the flexibility to sign other players. And then it got to year two and year three, the cap number goes up. But I'm thinking if Daniel Jones uh, performance improves, then it's not a big deal because it's a bargain contract for the way it's structured. But now we're starting to see the mistakes again. And that's really concerning. Like, can, you know, can these things be fixed? And, you know, if Brian Dable can't and Mike Kafka can't fix these things, you know, at the same time, the Giants set themselves up with the contract being the way it is, where after 2024, if if they decide that they want to look at another quarterback in the draft, I'm not going to blame them because they also inherited Daniel Jones. If they want to look at their own guy and they're picking in the top five or even the top ten, I, I will not blame the Giants if they decide to to draft somebody kind of put Daniel Jones on notice and it's like, Hey, look, you know, thanks. We gave you a contract, but at the same time, you kind of also didn't live up to it. And we kind of want to go to our, our own guy. That's kind of the nature of the NFL business. And the, the giants set, set it up with, with two outs. And if they have to use the first out, you know, that's so be it. That's the business side of it. And Unfortunately, no, you know, Daniel Jones is the one to blame because granted, yes, he's been stuck with the worst offensive line in football and they've been ranked last for the last four weeks. At the same time, it's been shown the offensive line isn't everything to blame. You know, the interceptions, some of them, yes, have bounced off receivers. Some have also been on Daniel Jones himself, like trying to force the ball on week one in Dallas. 
should have just ran out of bounds. That you would have kept the ball, would not have been picked off. And then in Seattle, the the two hundred, the pick six was brutal. And then he throws an he instead of Sweet. checking off, instead of checking off to his running back, he gets hit and the ball sails into the air and right into uh, Quadri Diggs. Like those are mistakes we used to see from Daniel Jones back in 2019, 2020, when he was younger. Not when you're in year five and just. I like Daniel Jones. I mean, he has not complained one single time since he's been here. I think he yep. has had the right oh. mentality. At the same time, it's just it's hard to be the guy playing after Eli Manning. And sometimes, you know, maybe it just doesn't work out. Maybe Daniel Jones needs to go to a lower market where the pressure's not on, the New York media is not on him. And maybe just mm-hmm. I felt this after twenty twenty going into twenty twenty two. If the Giants decide to cut ties, maybe Daniel Jones just needs to go somewhere else, get a fresh start, and and maybe he'll perform well. I, I know there will be plenty of people out there looking for a a starting quarterback with experience who can go out there. And it, actually, actually after the after the game, Atlanta was mentioned that Atlanta should start sniffing around Daniel mm-hmm. Jones because of Desmond Ritter, and I'm like, that wouldn't be a bad place for him. And that's whether that happens or not is remains to be seen. But I'm starting to think that Daniel Bridge, Daniel Jones, right now is the bridge quarterback as opposed to being the long term franchise quarterback. If the season goes the way it is, unfortunately, I can see. And if the Giants are picking the top ten, I I can totally see the Giants picking another quarterback. And we're you know we're be on to the next guy. Yeah. Um, by the way, we have a comment from a Falcons fan right on cue saying he would take him in a heartbeat. Um, Noah Dibler from Georgia, big Atlanta Falcons fan. He likes Daniel Jones, too. And, um, you know, we'll move on to the next question here. I just want to say one last thing, guys. If you're watching and you're a big Daniel Jones supporter, Daniel Jones is not garbage. That's not what we're saying. And, and both of you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but. He's not going to be a guy that can take you over the top. He needs a good supporting cast around him to be a fringe top 10 quarterback if he's ever going to get there. Um, I thought he was awfully close. But right now, we'll have to see. I mean, Doug, I hope you're wrong, but right now, you're looking right on. Um, Obviously, I think we all hope that we're wrong, but it'll, you know, left to be seen. And that kind of leads me to ask, you about the next domino as far as the offensive line is it more the coaching or is it more the play because obviously we've seen Andrew Thomas is hurt we saw John Michael Schmitz go down early I would argue that Schmitz might be their second best lineman already behind Andrew Thomas I think him and him and Ben I mean Ben Ben's not a good center but he's a, he's he's an average guard I would say um it's really tough for me. I mean, they held the ball for 36 minutes and turned it over three times. It, it, it really irks me to say that, you know, whether it's a Zudu, I, I never liked the Azudu draft pick. It was bad. Um, I did not like that pick off the film that I saw in college. I like McKeithen more than a Zudu, but something's starting to say to me. If they, if they pick high and Joe Walt is there at eight to 10, I saw I saw, saw your shirt, so I don't know if you're a Notre Dame fan or not, but I am. I'm taking Joe Alt. I'm replacing Evan Neal with him. You know, I would love that, but 
your, so just your, to show uh, you, this is this is actually this is actually here on on, on this, the O line because I mean I, this is actually a this is actually a New York Giant shirt in in green. This is a St. Patty's Day shirt. So, <laughs> oh. very nice. Uh, yeah, um, I think you're right. I think J- uh, John Michael Schmitz is the second best lineman on the team. And if you look at what they've been trying to put out there after week one, and with Andrew Thomas out. Azudu had he played a, a handful of games, and you really don't know if he's a guard or a tackle. He's been playing all over, and he's I think he's started now like four or five games. He's a young ta- he's a young player. Um, John Michael Schmitz he's playing in his very very first professional games, and he's hurt now, and and it's not clear if he's going to play on Sunday, which Ben Bredesen would probably be the center again. Um, Marcus McKeven. So before the Seattle game, Marcus McKeithen was slated to uh, to start again at right guard. I think it, it shows the Giants view McKeithen as a starter more than they do Izudu. And I think they want to try McKeithen, who, by the way, lost his entire rookie season to a torn ACL. So this season is basically his rookie year. He's, he's playing his very, very first professional games as well. And then you have Evan Neal, who got – you know, a year's worth of, of experience last year, and he's still very young, and he's still learning, and some, including myself, he might not be a right tackle. He might need to move inside to maybe right guard or left guard, just kind of like what, you know, Eric Flowers did and Robert Gallery and so many others of the past, uh, Justin Pugh, who also did it as well, going from tackle to guard. It's, it's not uncommon for these big, tall guys who just, they can't, grasp the speedier edge rushers and they have to move inside because they're big, they're strong and they can take on, you know, the defensive tackles as opposed to trying to stop the edge rushers. And right now, Evan Neal looks kind of lost at right, right tackle. And if they, I would almost think maybe moving him inside could help him. I don't know if that's a coaching thing. Um, A lot of people have been very down on Bobby Johnson who came over with Brian's able from Buffalo um, I've said if they decide to make a move and decide to let Bobby Johnson go, there's a guy out there named Mike Munchak, who was a longtime, you know, he's a Hall of Famer, longtime offensive line coach for the Titans. I was a head coach for three years, didn't work out. And then he went to Pittsburgh and turned their line around. And he was recently was with the Broncos and did okay, but he got fired with Vic Banjo staff. So he had that's a guy who I would immediately call because that, that guy does wonders with offensive lines. Cause the other guy I would, I would love to have here is Bill Callahan and with uh, the Cleveland Browns who the giants wanted to talk to. But once Jason Garrett took over and Jason Garrett stripped Bill Callahan of his play calling duties, when they were together in Dallas, Bill Callahan decided to go to Cleveland. So that wasn't happening. Bill Callahan could have done wonders for the giants uh, offensive line. And I feel like they missed out on that, but that is what it is. But I don't know if Bobby Johnson is the right guy for this current staff because it's a lot of young, inexperienced players minus Andrew Thomas and Mark Lewinsky still here, but he's not going to be here next year. It's a too easy of a, it's almost a five million dollar pay uh, savings to cut him. And it's, I feel like it's just this makeshift offensive line with young players and experienced players and at times really not good players. And when you're trying to put somebody in like Daniel Jones, who, and you're correct, he's a good player, but he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen. 
he's not even Eli Manning. He's not going to just rise everybody up. Like he needs good supporting cast around him. And that's what they tried, you know, bringing Saquon back, bringing Sa- having Saquon was a very vital thing. If you notice the minute they signed him to that contract, Saquon got tagged. They, Saquon is a very essential part of Daniel Jones. That you're talking about a top five, even top three running back in the league who can catch passes, who can do things that a lot of other backs can't do. Having him part of the offense is key. They went and traded for Darren Waller, who was once a thousand yard receiver as a tight end. They went and traded up and drafted Jalen Hyatt, who could burn it down the field. And then that's another thing. They're not even targeting Jalen Hyatt, who's got all the speed, who almost had a hundred yards in week two and was burning the Cardinals. And then in week three, he's not even being targeted. That, that baffles me. Like, just if, if the running game's not working, and if you need to start doing some quick throws, throw it deep to freaking Hyatt. Go, go get him. I mean, they started to get Wandell back into the mix, and that's good. But at the same time, Daniel Jones is also missing Wandell wide open. And, so, and he's throwing the ball away when Wandell, granted, he's 5'8. Sometimes he's hard to see, but still, you, you got a wide open guy and you're completely missing him. Maybe because, and granted, maybe you're running out of, you know, pressure and you you've had to change the play on the on the fly but at the same time wandell is one of your targets a speedy target and you're missing him and it's just it, it's frustrating a lot of the fan base it's frustrating to everybody and i'm sure you know you've seen Dan, you know, brian dable throwing tablets and he's you know yelling at kind of yelling at him on the sideline it, it's frustrating to watch a guy that everybody thought was going to be the guy who got this big contract and it's like almost like everything is going backwards in regression and it's it could be the unfortunate story of oh here's a guy that could have been the guy but then just wasn't the guy and then we're you're looking on to the next guy so right definitely definitely it's uh there's there's a lot of different things especially with the offense specifically that are wrong that could be right in any other team like I feel like every time we try to bring somebody on like Darren Wall or Kenny Galladay like they just kind of fall apart on this team um but let's go to the other side of the ball for a moment here and just talk about defensively because they they are the stronger part of the team you know I do think that the defense has been performing uh, you know fairly well you know could be a lot worse on that side of the ball um but out of everybody um because we do have a lot of different stars and people who could perform extremely well who who has impressed you most this season on the defensive side of the ball who has impressed me the most um i mean isaiah simmons so far has you know i think he needs to play more but he's looked pretty good when he's played um Thibodeau for the first two games looked like a ghost. And then I don't know, something got lit under him the last two games. He's looked like the guy we saw last year. He's had three sacks in the last two games. He's had, I believe, eight or nine pressures. He's been getting after, and I think it started with the San Francisco game. He was getting after Brock Purdy. And it's just Brock Purdy had Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and George Kittle waiting for those little dump off passes. And then the Giants, it, those guys are hard to stop. And just that was what it was. But, you know, Thibodeau in a game where I felt like a lot of people kind of struggled a bit to get pressure on Gino and at times, you know, Drew Locke. Thibodeau was around all, you know, the entire game. And 
for the ghost that Aziz was, and granted he was hurt too, but Aziz actually looked like you know he was getting back into rhythm. He was pressuring all game. He had at least five of them. He not quite getting to the quarterback yet, but you know, get the pressure on, and eventually those the sacks will come. You know, if you continue to um, you know bring the heat, and you know with Wink Martindale's defense, that's all part of it is bring the pressure and you know force the the offense to make things happen. Um, Dexter Lawrence, even though the numbers might not say it, you know Dexter Lawrence continues to be a rock in the middle, and you know oh, he's man. absolutely deserving of that contract he got because. You know, being a defensive tackle, you're not always going to get the gaudy numbers that, you know, the edge rushers um, tend to get with sacks and everything. But that guy brings pressure every single day. And he's always got that, you know, blue collar, hard hat mindset just will bring the force every single game. He, he, he's actually he, he's been the one because he, he got the contract over the summer and he continues to be the guy just that rock. In the middle, there has never been a question of whether or not he deserved that deal because he does. Um, he got paid, and he deserves to get paid, and he just continues to be um, one of the few that has really just in, in a year where sometimes the defense has had, you know, a, they wear down as, as they've been on the field, especially the San Francisco game. Dexter Lawrence hasn't worn down and hasn't looked like somebody who, oh, we have to question whether he gets gets paid or not. Dexter Lawrence is a top, probably top five, you know, interior lineman in the sport for a it reason. Worked. So yeah, that that's probably the guy who I'm most impressed with because he got paid and he continues to deserve like the guy, like he's we call it playing like the back of your football card. He deserves he's playing like it. He's continuing to play like an all-star, a pro bowl, or whatever you want to call it these days. That's that's the one who I think would, I'd be the most impressed with because he's living up to the expectations and to the contract. Right, that's a good pick for me. I'm going with Sam and I do this every week. Our New York Giants defensive player of the week. This is the player that's really stuck out to me. And Sam, I'll let you roll through this quick here. Yeah, uh, going with Kayvon Thibodeau for me because of the pass rushing. I, I think outside of Dexter Lawrence right now, he is the you know second best player on our you know defensive front but i will say i expected dexter to be this good for me i mean Kayvon is beginning to take that step forward and you're number two sam yeah Kayvon, i should say yeah definitely so our player of the week as tom said two sacks one pbu which means that he's had um three sacks so far this season um and in the last two games um this is the first multi-sack game of his career which is you know, wish that it would happen a little bit more often. Uh, 2023, he's had nine tackles, three sacks, three tackles for loss, four quarterback hurries, um, and one pass defended in the last four games. And he's played 84% of the snaps this season. And so seeing at least a little bit of goodness come out of this past Monday night game. And awesome. it, we also forgot, I mean, he was within inches of a potential pick six. I mean, it's true. You're right. And that's the thing that everybody forgets is, and I don't blame him too, because it's just the ball kind of got thrown at him and he obviously he wasn't ready for it, but right. I mean, right. if he, if he catches that, that he's gone for six. And, oh, of course, yeah. and that was just part of him being, you know, a lot of people have been down on, were down on him the first two games because he didn't have and he, he didn't have good games. And also he got dropped into, into coverage a lot too. And, Everybody always just focuses on, you know, sack numbers for pass rushers. 
And, you know, I had to also have, you have to remind, like, you know, Justin Tuck once, you know, he didn't start out this, like, like a Micah Parsons. Michael Strahan didn't start out like Michael Strahan either. Like, sometimes these guys take a little bit to, you know, come around. And also last year, Kayvon Thibodeau missed the first couple games of the season yep. with an injury he over did. the summer. So, like, he his first game was that Monday night game in Dallas. And, you know, some of these, like, they take time to, like, you know, and as a you know young pass rusher, I don't know if you saw it last year. Like Kayvon Thibodeau got held every single game oh, and yeah. Yeah. didn't get didn't get any special you know um, treatment or whatnot. And I mean, it looked like at times like Kayvon Thibodeau was like getting headlocked by these offensive linemen. Like he was bringing pressure in the entire season. It's just you only see the four sacks, and that's not always how you know edge rushers you know like make their impact. Like. Kayvon Thibodeau was a force all last season and he got off to the slow start. But then I noticed in San Francisco, he was all up in Brock Purdy's face. Every single, it's just, he was good at Purdy was great at getting the ball off very quickly. And he had Christian McCaffrey there and Christian McCaffrey is just one of the best in the league at making things happen. Having Debo Samuel, having George Kittle, they just, if not for those guys, Thibodeau would have had a couple more sacks. It's just Brock Purdy was ready and he knew how to get the ball off quickly. And then, you know, Geno Smith, he, he's a little bit elusive, but at the same time, you know, Thibodeau could got to him twice. And he really was the only one. And Thibodeau, again, brought a lot of pressure. Same thing with Aziz. It's just, it's it's coming for Thibodeau. And I think, you know, he'll be, he'll be heading, you know, be hunting for, you know, Tua on Sunday. And I think slowly, you know, the, the guy we all expected with the fifth overall pick and to be the, you know, one of those top pass rushers is finally evolving into the player that everybody's expected. Right. And Sam, before we get to you here, I just want to say one thing too, to back up Doug's point. Yeah. Geno Smith didn't look great on Monday night. He, again, he, he got hurt. He was okay. He was upset at Isaiah Simmons. Um, you know, it was just an unfortunate bounce or unfortunate fall, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it was a tough break. I mean, I thought the defense was okay. You know, Banks gave up the touchdown to Metcalf. Thibodeau was really coming on. But it just continues. The mistackling really irks me as well. I'm sure you guys agree. Um, Bobby Okereke, that scary first tackle of the game where Walker had that touchdown run that was called back. Very, very lucky. And then um, there was a, a few tackles missed on special teams as well. Outside of Gano, the special teams is atrocious this year. Um, the Seahawks were begging. I mean, they were begging the Giants to take control of this game. Begging them, and they just couldn't do it. So this loss should be taken personally and i guess as we now get into um week five giants bring back justin Pugh, who all of us know our 2013 first round draft pick the season is saved this <laughs> season is saved one of many guys that um have been on this offensive line when it struggled you know this likely has something to do with maybe jms's status for week five i doubt he plays um Unfortunately, you know, Pew himself coming off the torn ACL. Um, I don't expect Pew to be ready for Miami, maybe Buffalo, but I'm happy he's back. And hopefully he can knock some sense into players like Evan Neal, who 
Guys, I don't know if you saw it today. I'm sure everyone did at this point, but very harsh on his critics, hmm. quoting the following. It says, the fans who criticize lip likely flip hot dogs and hamburgers somewhere. Also stated that some of the Giants are fair weather and bandwagons for booing the team when things aren't going well. It also quoted, why would a lion concern himself with the opinion of a sheep? Referring to fans such as us or, you know, people who are critiquing him. So, I mean, my thoughts are, you know, Evan Neal just posted an apology 10 minutes ago. I don't know if you guys saw it, but oh, it did. just came out. I can read it to you guys quick um, in case this is the first time you're seeing this. Neal said 10 minutes ago on his Twitter account, I am wrong for lashing out at the fans who are just as passionate and frustrated as I am. I let my frustrations in my play plus desire to win get the best of me. I had no right to make light of anyone's job, and I deeply regret the things I said. We are working day in and day out to grow as a team, and this was an unnecessary distraction. I apologize. Thoughts, anybody? Um, again, I, I think it was a bad thing to do, but at least he apologized and then much more we can we we can do i'm not going to hold this against him long term i i definitely think that i get that people you know players get upset when when fans start saying a lot of stupid stuff you know like like they they'll come out and say crazy things all the time but you know i get he's frustrated and everything but this is this not really something that you should be saying um in my opinion uh, talking about flipping hot dogs and hamburgers, it's, it's a little bit, you know, it might cut a little bit too close to home for some people. Like that, that's just like I, I think it's a little just too rough. Um, but overall, I'm glad that he issued an apology. I'm sure some PR person was like, "Evan, come on, you know, don't say things like that." But it, it, it's not like unprecedented. Evan Neal has not performed. He has not been the player that we expected him to be. And unfortunately, people say some harsh things and like not the right way, but they're also not completely untrue. So I, I feel for the guy. I know it's really harsh to get criticism, especially unsolicited criticism from people who don't even play the sport. But overall, Evan Neal, is, just as a player in itself, has, has got to step up to the plate a little bit more, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing, you, obviously you're frustrated, but, you know, at the same time, you also have to read the room. Like, we're talking about people who who come and pay hard-earned money, um, season ticket holders, especially, like, season tickets for the Giants are not cheap. And it, even today, you know, tickets for any game is not cheap. And these people pay their hard-earned money to come and watch, you know, they want to watch a winning product. And when you're not doing your job, you know, the fans are within their rights to boo, you know, it's, it, it shows they care, you know, it's when they don't, don't make any noise and don't say anything. That's when you've kind of lost them, but they boo because they care, you know, they'll, they'll cheer you as loud as possible when you do great things and you win and you bring back championships, you know, they'll revere you forever in this town. You know, Eli Manning will never have to buy another meal ever again in New York and New Jersey because of what he's done here. Same thing with Michael Strahan and Justin Tuck and all the other giant legends who have done stuff. Um, you know, Sean O'Hara, beloved forever. Um, guys like that saying things about your fan base. This is now, unfortunately, what is going to 
be remembered right now in the giant fan base is that Evan Neal not only is not playing well and they could, you know, he could have just gone about and said, you know, I'm just trying to do the best I can. And, you know, they could have understood that, but now they're going to remember even with this apology, which, okay, good for him. He probably, somebody got to him, obviously, but now this is what they're going to remember for the next couple of weeks is that he shot his mouth off and he said he basically kind of like looked down on the fan base. That's not a good look for somebody who is struggling. This is this isn't somebody like Saquon Barkley or somebody or Darren Waller, like people who are performing well, who are kind of saying this, this is somebody who is really their job is, is in being questioned whether or not they can be a long-term player on this team. And this is not, unfortunately, Evan Neal has to hope this kind of blows over because if he continues to struggle, this there's it's going to be a backlash on him because the fans will let him have it. They, these New York fan, New Jersey fans, they have very long term memories. They're going to bring signs. They're going to let him have it. And if he you know allows pressures and sacks, they're going to really let him have it. So. The best thing for Evan Neal to do, aside from the apology, is to step your game up. You know, the, when the Giants drafted him seventh overall last year, they had everybody had high expectations because of what the player he was in Alabama, because he came from winning pedigree there. Um, at one time, Evan Neal was considered to be the number one overall pick in the draft. Like he, that's how high of expectations this that everybody had when he was coming into in from college into the pros, and. Like I said, maybe he doesn't stick as a right tackle. Maybe he has to go to right guard or left guard or somewhere else. And that's another conversation for another time. But right now, the best thing for Evan Neal to do is just kind of, you know, just kind of lay low as far as talking and work on the game because he's still very young and he still has a lot of work to get done. And yeah, he's going to have to survive some of the booze. But you know what? Some other players get booed too and you work through it. You know, Eli Manning once got booed all all in 2006, and he all he did was bring back a championship the next year. So Evan Neal has to work on his game and get better and just kind of drown out the boos and try to make them into cheers for himself. Otherwise, you know, this could be a sticking point of what is looked at as Evan Neal's very short tenure with the New York Giants. Yeah. Which segues into our next segment, folks. Sam, start with you here. Giants at Dolphins. Preview week five is upon us. Not feeling too good. Dolphins favored by 11. Um, All time, Giants lead the series seven to three. This is the Eli Apple revenge game. And we know Sam's Bill's pennant up there um, on, I think it's on the right of your screen, folks, if you can see. Um, showing some Buffalo support as well. Um, look, Bills torched Miami's defense last week, but the Dolphins are just two weeks removed from a 70-point outing. Sam, I'm not feeling too good right now about this one. I just I just got to chill thinking about this game. <laughs> um, I After last week, especially, and that's one less day as well for us to be resting, recovering, practicing, so on and so forth, um, which makes a big difference. Um, I do think that the that the Dolphins are going to put up 
a solid amount of points against us. Um, although the Bills, not to say that we're like the Bills, because at this point I don't think we we come close to them right now. Um, but I do think that you know there there was a little bit of exposure last week with the Dolphins. You know the Dolphins can run up and down the field. Tua is getting better every week. But the Bills did kind of show it off a little bit. Like, all right, they are not indestructible. They put 70 points up against the worst defense in the entire league, the Denver Broncos. Um, So I think that's the little shred of hope that I've been kind of hanging on to here. But unfortunately, I'm not seeing the Giants win this game. Um, I hope it's a little bit of a more of a better game. I'd love to see a touchdown or two. I'd love to see Darren Waller in the red zone for God's sakes. I mean, I, I don't know what it is that every time I get excited about us bringing up a tight end and then they don't ever make it into the red zone. I think it's like this curse or something. I, I don't know, but I, I genuinely would, would just love to see a little bit of fight, a little bit of spark but unfortunately, I really don't think that we have what it takes to beat the Dolphins right now. I uh, unfortunately, um, you know, before the season started, I actually thought maybe the Giants could have a chance be- just because I had this ho- hope that the offense was going to, you know, be a 30 plus point offense. And then we started playing football and watching the Miami Dolphins just kind of put up points at will and put up points at ease. Even even in a bad game, they still put up 20 points, which would have been they, – they still would have beaten the Giants last with three points. And the Giants right now have scored 46 points total in this season, which is the lowest in the NFL. And the fact that Miami Dolphins have put up, I think, 150 points, which is number one in the NFL – I, that that scares me because you know Tua is finding you know Tyree Kill, and it just feels like he's especially in the Bronco game he just he found everybody at will, and I feel like that's that's the kind of offense that Miami is running. They just they they just knew how to put up points, and so far you know Buffalo embarrassed them. Buffalo put up forty eight on them, and I feel like they're going to come into this game against the Giants wanting to get you know get back at a at a team that's struggling. And they want to put up 35, 40, whatever. And I feel like, that, unfortunately, the Giants it might be their punching bag because the Giants have been struggling to, you know, they, you know, granted it wasn't all, all on the defense, but, you know, they, Dallas put up 40. San Francisco put up 30. Arizona almost put up 30. Like, I felt like Seattle could have put up more if they had the ball more. And that's been the thing. The Giants so far have given up a lot of points. And I feel like, with this Miami team, they scored well. And I feel like we're going to see more of that. Um, you know, I mean, Deontay Banks did what he could with DK Metcalf, but DK is a freak and Tyreek Hill is what he is. He's one of the fastest people in the league who is hard to cover. And I feel like the giants might be walking into a possible offensive massacre and, and, a why they're fit um miami is favored by 11 yeah that that's it could be potentially a 20 point plus blowout like we it's it might not be pretty on on sunday and i just i felt like after this game people could have gotten fired after the seahawks game if if they put up another you know embarrassing performance 
could be another feel like another game where coaches could deserve to get fired or somebody you know could get cut and you know if they i want to at least see some effort like just show some effort like make a make a game of it and and fight like fight like he did against the cardinals in the second half and you know for the most part of the game the giants fought the 49ers despite being short-staffed and being outmanned they fought the niners until the very end show that fight at least try to fight the Miami Dolphins. At least give the fans something to look forward to. Even if you lose the game, a lot of people are expecting them to lose the game, but fight them. That's that's probably the most I want to see is at least the Giants show some fight. You know, they got their faces embarrassed, rubbed in it, embarrassed on Monday night against the Seahawks. Come back, a 1 o'clock game, and just fight back against the Miami Dolphins. That's what I want to see most, even if they don't win the game. And DJ typically plays well in the 1 o'clock window, no? So... Daniel, we're talking to you here. Prove us wrong. Evan Neal, prove us wrong, right? We would love to sit here next week and talk about, you know, Daniel Jones out, out, outplayed Tua. You know, he, he threw some nice touchdown passes. He hit Waller in the end zone. We would love to be doing that. However, I don't think it's happening. Um, I, you know, I hate to just pounce on what both of you just said, but they're not going to be able to protect Daniel Jones. The Giants have allowed a league-high 36 pressures in week four, 23 sacks. Jones was sacked 11 times last week with 14 QB hits. No John Michael Schmitz, most likely, with the shoulder injury. Daniel Bellinger also has a knee injury, as Doug mentioned earlier. Um, our best blocking tight end, in my opinion. And <sighs> McKeithen and Lemieux also suffered injuries, so Mark Lewinsky might have to start. Um, if both of them are out. I don't think both of them will be out. Sam just rolled your eyes on Mark Lewinsky. <laughs> well, I think Lemieux has a, a groin injury. So yes. I think so I think the line that we saw at the end of the game with Izudu, Glowinski, Bredesen, McKeithen, and Neil. and Neil, I think that is likely going to be the offensive line. Unless something changes, I think Thomas is not probably not going to be a go again. With the hamstring, that's likely going to be the offensive line we see in, and you know, it, it, it could be a rough day for Daniel Jones because they've been allowing a pressure, and it's a lot of young guys still trying to figure out how to play football. And at the same time, defenses have been basically licking their their chops to try and you know take their shots at Daniel Jones, and Seattle did it. I mean, Miami might try to just copy the blueprint and go after him again. That's just that seems to be what a lot of defenses are doing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you got Andrew Van Ginkle there, Bradley Chubb, mm. Jalen Phillips. They're tough pass rushers, those guys. And you have Zach Sealer and Christian Wilkins up the middle going up against probably three backup offensive linemen. If you still consider McKeithen a backup, I mean, he's basically a starter at this point. Um, they won't be able to get explosive plays, but Sam, quickly here, and then we'll, we'll go to Doug. 60 seconds for your keys of the game. What are they and why? Oh, keys of the game. Uh, I guess I can throw in score points in there just for funsies. Um, I definitely feel like we're, we're really like offensively, we know that it's not going to be working out too well. Like, let's just make this as painless as possible. 
defensively, let's step up for the plate. Let's let's stop this run. Devin A-Chain is insane. Like, he's been running all over the place. So, you know, let's let's keep this to a dull roar because we're, we're like we said, we're all very adamant of the fact that it's not going to be a pretty game. It's not going to be good. We're not going to win this game. But I, I just really think that the defense needs to really step up. The offensive line that we do have just try as best as you can because I mean that that clip that Micah Parsons put out on Twitter I mean it was just ridiculous like they was just it was an immediate just everybody just went to the sides and Daniel Jones was just like could have died with that that hole in that Mm -hmm. line it was ridiculous so I think that that's one of my biggest things and I had put on a script as well um the Dolphins are less than 50 percent on third downs um, in terms of conversions. So if we can use that defense to stop the third downs, to not let them convert, I think that that's going to be a big factor in this game. I think that it's going to be very helpful for us. Like I said, I can't see the offense jumping on those opportunities and putting points up on the board on those conversions, but at least we can keep the score a little bit lower. Um, but I would say those two are, are two of the biggest things for me. Doug? I agree. I mean, when you look at the numbers from the Seattle game, I mean, the Giants had 36 minutes of total possession, whereas if you look at the previous week, the 49ers had 40 minutes. So you would think the Giants had a lot of they had they they had the better first down. You know, they held Seattle to, I think, three of 12 or three of 13 on third down, whereas they allowed the Niners to be like nine for 16. You know, you look at some of the numbers and you felt like, without looking at the score, it's like, did the Giants win this game? Like, the Giants outgained a lot of the numbers that are essential to winning a game. But the two biggest things, obviously, were um, turnovers and and the um, and obviously the final score. But, uh, you know, that's... So, yeah, hold, like... And I think part of the clock is you're like likely, I don't want to say guarantee, but you're likely going to get Saquon Barkley back. He looks like he's his ankle is progressing. And so the Giants have run the ball well when they've been able to. When they get away from running the football and try to you know do this whole passing offense, and that's when they've gotten in trouble. Now, I'm not saying don't pass the football, but part of what makes the Giants offense work is setting up with Saquon Barkley. Matt Breida has done the best he's can, but he's not Saquon. Saquon establishes the run. He establishes the flow of the game. What makes the passing game work is off of play action. When the running game is working and when Daniel Jones can use play action well, that's when the Giants pass game works. And as we saw in Arizona, play action down the field to Jalen Hyatt, that worked. Um, at times they were getting the ball to um, Darren Waller because they were able to establish a run, get play action going, and then they were able to start making things work. They weren't able to do it in Dallas, maybe just because of the rain. They fell far, uh, too far behind. But on that first drive of that game, we saw Saquon Barkley stuffing the ball down the Dallas Cowboys defense's throat. And then the block field goal just changed everything. In San Francisco, there was no Saquon. And Brita was held to 17 yards. Granted, he got the touchdown, but that... That was really it. 
Saquon Barkley is so essential to this offense, as is Andrew Thomas, but he might not be playing. Even so, Saquon still had 93 yards total and two touchdowns in that comeback against the Cardinals. Getting Saquon, even if he's like 80, 85%, that's better than a lot of other running backs in this league. Get him healthy. He's looking like he's healthy. Get him back on the field. So at least you can start to have the running game respected enough to where maybe you can start setting up play action, getting you know the ball down the field to guys like Wandell and Hyatt and Darren Waller. Because without Saquon, this team is – this offense just does not look the same. And with Saquon out there, he makes Daniel Jones a better football player. So I say control the clock, get Saquon involved as much as you can without you know obviously getting him hurt. And get Jalen Hyatt involved, even if you have to run some, you know, some um, some short routes. If you have to run <laughs> drag routes, get Jalen Hyatt involved somehow. Like it's just frustrating not to see this guy. You know, even if you throw him deep, throw the ball to him. Just it's just it's such a frustrating thing just to watch this guy who's got speed for days and he can obviously make some tough to contested catches like he did in Arizona. And he's just not being used. Like, I think a little less of Paris Campbell and more of Jalen Hyatt. I feel like Jalen Hyatt can make things happen with his speed and his talent. And obviously, I feel like get the ball more to Darren Waller. Um, but with the offensive line, the way it, it is, if, and I'm going right back to Saquon. If Saquon's healthy, run the football. Run the football behind him because they had success the first week in Dallas and the second week in Arizona, you know, Saquon was able to establish a run and they're able to, that will create some things. So, and obviously the Miami team, they're three and one. They're very considered dangerous right now and a possible early championship contender. But at the same time, Buffalo showed you can score points on them. You scored 40, almost put up 50 on them. So you can score on them. And I know the giants have talent there. It's just a matter of being able to execute the plays and execute that talent. So Saquon, I feel like is it, it, being healthy could be the key to this game. And I think that, you know, good things could happen if they get him involved early, but they have to, they have to figure out, you know, proper execution. Otherwise you're looking at another ugly performance. Right. And as important as Saquon is too, he needs to stay healthy and on the field, which is probably why the giants had a number and didn't budge much from that number when trying to pay him. So Saquon, um, obviously, best offensive weapon needs to prove it. Super quick here, keys to the game, building off what you said, Doug, explosive plays. The Dolphins' defense gave up 48 points last week, but also 34 points in week one. Uh, the Dolphins have given up a 104.9 rating to opposing quarterbacks. Um, the question, though, is can any of the receivers break from Xavier Howard and Cater uh, Kohu and the Sean Elliott? in enough time for Daniel Jones to, to deliver them the ball is my question. Um, you know, pressuring Tua is key for me too. You want to force Tua potentially into some mistakes. If Teron Armstead doesn't play, you know, obviously he's hurt out of practice today. It'll be Kendall Lamb at left tackle for Miami. And then Connor Williams and Robert Hunt are not these unstoppable players. In the middle, they're not 100%, so I expect Dexter Lawrence to have the upper edge there. Most importantly, stopping the run. 
last week, it wasn't just Kenneth Walker. It was Zach Charbonnet. I mean, five rushes for 31 yards. The man is averaging over six yards a clip. And you look what, look what Miami has. Raheem Mostert, six rushing touchdowns. And trying to pronounce his name correctly, I think it's Devin Ashane. Four touchdowns on the year, averaging 11 yards. Ashane, got it. Thank you. Um, yeah, it looks like he's the new bell cow in South Beach. So very excited for him. Six total touchdowns on the year, four on the ground, two through the year, averaging 103 yards per game in just three games played. Uh, hello, Devin. Welcome to the NFL. Good luck, Big Blue, stopping him on Sunday. That's a big problem. Um, please keep Dexter and Leo on the field as much as you can, Wink. Uh, quickly here, any player, Sam, that catches your eye on Miami that you know could potentially really make an impact in this game, any player on the Giants, what are you thinking here? Um, I mean, definitely. I'm, you know, I mentioned him earlier, and we're talking about him again. Devin A. Chain. Um, he was somebody that I was going to keep my eye on. Um, but I'll throw Andrew Van Ginkle into that just because of the, um, you know, the offensive line and how he's going to be all over Daniel Jones and all that good stuff. So I'll throw him in there. And then on the Giants side, I'll say Darren Waller just because I want to see him targeted more and I want to see him in the red zone at least one time this season would be nice. Um, so those will be my two guys. Three guys. Doug, do you have a, a two as well? So for the Giants, um, definitely I, I want to see – I'm tossed up between Waller and Hyatt just because – I mean, obviously Saquon's coming back, but, you know, you, I mean, you can't guarantee what you'll will see from him just because he's been out for the last couple games. I, I want to see – the week two version of there of uh, Jalen Hyatt. I want to see him going deep because I just, I don't think Paris Campbell is it. And Isaiah Hodgins has kind of been MIA a little bit. And I want to see, I feel like Jalen Hyatt is supposed to be one of the superstars on this offense, especially in the wide receiver room. I want to see, I want to see big things from him. And at the same time, Darren Waller basically is a wide receiver playing tight end. He creates mismatches. You know, if Daniel Jones had saw him in the back of the end zone, he could have had that touchdown. And then we had a different ball game against Seattle. So I want to see one of those two. And at the same time, on the flip, um, the player to obviously watch, you guys mentioned him, uh, De- Shane, I guess De- Devin Ashane, mm-hmm. I think is, yeah. Um, you know, the, stopping the run, you know. Uh, you know, Leonard Williams is kind of, he hasn't been quite the impact that, and, you know, you saw him fighting, he, he, you saw him fighting with guys because he was getting beat by backup linemen against Seattle. I want to see the big cat erupt. I want to see the big cat making, you know, the, granted Leonard Williams isn't the, the guy that you expect to get 10, 12 sacks, but he can get after the quarterback, but most importantly, Leonard Williams is good at supposed to be stopping the run. This is this would be a game where getting back to stopping the run would help for Leonard Williams and to justify the salary cap number that he has, which is at thirty-two million. And a lot of people are saying, you know, trade him, you know. But you know, Leonard Williams for the most part is essential to stopping the run, and I want to see Leonard Williams kind of get 
you know, mad, get angry that he got embarrassed and start, you know, start making plays, tackles for losses, the, the things that got him that contract from the Giants and why he's paid the way he is. I, I want to see some of that from him. That That's because, you know, Devin Shane, he, he's made things happen. He's, he's, mm-hmm. He was kind of the guy that nobody expected out of, out of Miami. And all of a sudden, he's he was one of the must-have players in, in fantasy uh, going into, I think it was, I don't know if it was week two or week three, but all of a sudden, he was the name that everybody kept mentioning. And, you know, the, the Giants had a little issue stopping Kenneth Walker. Um, so getting after Devin Ashane early, because if, if the Giants don't, Again, they, they could be in. I feel like the Dolphins can put up 35 points without blink without blinking. Mm-hmm. And Devin O'Shane mm-hmm. is part of that. So, yeah, that's that's a guy you probably want to stop early and often. and then But then you also force Miami to pass the ball, and they like to do that too. But at mm-hmm. least try to stop the run and then go from there. Right. And then, of course, too, last year, not last year, the year before, they played because of the new 17-game alignment throughout the course of the season. You play the one-out-of-conference uh, opponent from a specific division that has the same placement as you did the previous season, so it was the Dolphins in 2021. They held Hill in that game to a respectable amount of yardage, and Tyreek Hill, four touchdown catches on the season. He's a big player for Miami, 128 yards after the catch with seven big play receptions. Two Chicago Leads the NFL in passing through four weeks. Brian Dable was the OC at Bama when he benched Jalen Hurts for Tua. Um, fun fact for those of you watching that may not know that. Uh, yeah, Devin O'Shane, as we mentioned, Jalen Waddell. Uh, David Long Jr. as well, a prize for agent signing who has played pretty respectably thus far. And then quickly for the Giants, the entire offensive line. The entire offensive line. All, all five guys. All se- I mean, sometimes they put seven in there, whether it's Matt Pert, Mark Lewinsky, whoever it might be. Um, you know, we'll see. And then finally for the Giants, Daniel Jones, please prove us wrong, man. Just please. The Giants will be in this game if Jones has a good game. They will be in this football game. Daniel Jones, please prove us wrong. Finally, final segment of the evening, game predictions. Doug, as the guest, we'll start with you here on this one. I'm nervous to ask both of you this question. Who wins and what is your final score? All right. Uh, right now, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. My gut. I'm gonna say Dolphins forty-one, Giants twenty-two. I just right now, I don't feel good about the Giants going into this game. I would have felt better if they had won against Seattle. You know, momentum on their side, but they don't have momentum on their side. And I think it it'll be good to get Saquon back if he is coming back. But you know, the offensive line is what it is, and Miami. Miami right now looks like a, a championship contender that can score a ton of points at will. And the Giants are back on the road, not looking like a good football team that we saw last year. So until the Giants can prove to, to me, to everybody, that they can hang with the big boys and just hang in general, I, I don't feel confident in picking the Giants to win right now unless they show me they can. So right now, I, Dolphin, I said for, Dolphins 41, Giants 22. I just I think it's going to be a very long game for the Giants. Um, maybe they'll score late. Who knows? But right now, until they could show to me that they are capable of, of winning a football game, 
I, I can't pick the Giants. So yeah, I think Miami wins fairly easy on on Sunday. Sam. Yeah, your your score was a little bit nicer than mine, um, but very similar actually. I have Miami winning forty two to seventeen, and that's being kind for the Giants. I wouldn't be surprised if it's more of a seven or a ten score on our end. Um, but yeah, I agree. I do. I think the same as as Doug here. You know, I'm I'm expecting the worst, honestly. And the 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 cat. I'm sorry, the Dolphins can definitely score on us in many different capacities. So, unfortunately, I will not be picking the Giants this week, or probably any week until they can <laughs> prove it. Sam, it sounds like you're stuck. <laughs> uh, almost pulled off a Cowboys there. I know, I almost said it. <laughs> one. No one's recovered. Um, yeah. um, simple here, 34-17. Miami. Um, I think Jones plays better. I think the defense, it is what it is, right, at this point. uh, They can't stop a nosebleed on the running game. They haven't proven they can tackle. The special team stinks. I mean, they might even give up a touchdown. Who knows? We didn't even mention his name, but Braxton Berrios might carve us up over the middle. Durham Smythe as well. We can't cover tight ends. So I think the Dolphins win this one comfortably 34-17. to And, um, yeah, then it'll be on to Buffalo. But, um, you know, despite the struggles right now, there are brighter days ahead. Um, it may not seem like it right now, but always keep the faith, folks. You never know what could happen. Any given Sunday is the theme. Doug, I want to thank you very much for joining us tonight. You're an awesome insight and knowledge. Any final thoughts or plugs here before we let you go? No, I'm just glad to be able to join you guys. Um, you know, I, I know it's hard right now for a lot of Giant fans to stay positive and, you know, but like you said, on any given Sunday, any team can go out there and beat somebody. So, you know, as long as there's a heartbeat. And like I said, that's what I want to see. I want to see the Giants just fight. And, then, you know, if at least they fight, you have a chance. There's always, they always say there's a puncher's chance. You know, the Giants, it's not like the Giants are, you know, this bottom of the barrel, no talent. See, like, have talent. It's young but they just need to put it together. And that's what I want to see on Sunday. I just want to see some fight. I want to see that they actually care and they want to go out there and like kind of try to salvage the season. So that, that's really what I want to see. So that, that's what the fan base wants to see. Just some fight. Just, you know, that blue collar, giant football, old school mentality. Who knows? Maybe I've, I've seen games where the Giants have, have looked dead in, dead in the dirt and all of a sudden have resurrected themselves to come back and, and find a way. So, you know, Maybe that'll happen on Sunday. Maybe not. Like I said, I want to see it. I want to see the Giants prove to me they can win a football game. But you know, the the fan. I know the fan base is. It, there have been worse fo- Giants football teams in the past. I don't think this is one of them. I think it's just a lot of unfortunate things have happened. But season's not over quite yet. There could be you know miracles have happened, and that's what you kind of have to hope for. That's why you you continue to watch every single Sunday. Awesome, Doug. Appreciate you very much. Hope you enjoy the rest of your night and your week. Um, hopefully we can celebrate a win on Sunday, even though that is highly unlikely trying to stay positive and play better than we did last week. That's all we can do. Thank you so much. And we'll have to catch you again soon. This was a lot of fun, Doug. Appreciate you. Oh, I had so much fun guys. Yeah. Let me know. I I had a blast talking to you guys. Uh, 
I'd love to come back on again and talk some football, hopefully some better football than what we've seen the last couple of weeks. But no, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate coming on and talking to you guys about Giants football. And hopefully we'll do this again in the future. Absolutely, Doug. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, guys. Have a great night. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right. That was Doug Rush. Awesome guest from GMNHQ. Sam, appreciate you joining me tonight. Uh, rough show. Um, not for us, but talking about the G-Man, I should say. Um, might want to catch us, folks, on all of our social media for more reactions on possible hot topics and tea with the New York football giants upcoming this week. The unpredictable could continue to happen here, like we saw with Neil today, um, with the way the media is going. If you like our content and like what we talk about, Please make sure to check us out on all of our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Big Blue Avenue. Really excited for next week's show, despite the result of Sunday's game, because we'll be previewing the Giants-Bills game. And that should be a lot of fun. Revenge game for Brian Dable, Joe Shane, and a bunch of the Giants players. Sam, any parting words here? I'm ready to go to bed. Prime time next week. I'm begging. Um, but no, I, I, I think we've said all that we can say about, yeah, James, seriously. Um, it's just, it's rough. It's rough. But yeah, we've said all we can say. I think, I think we're ready to sign off. Absolutely. Hang in there, everybody. We will see you all next week on Big Blue Avenue. Appreciate you all. Have a good night. And without further ado, we're still going to say it. Let's go Big Blue.